0: This episode will discuss sensitive and potential triggering topics, including violence, abuse, and trauma, and will contain details and descriptions of crimes and events that some listeners may find offensive, disturbing, and or distressing. This episode may not be appropriate for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hola, my beautiful humans. This is Jasmine Castillo. And this is Mw. Bringing awareness of murdered and missing Indigenous women, girls, two-spirits, the LGBTQ community, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, Black Indigenous people of color. These are their stories. So, welcome to Hands Off, my podcast. Part 1 of Canadian Jane and John Doe's. Hispanic Heritage Month edition. An article from the Globe and Mail in 2015 identified that Canada had 91 unidentified female remains. There are also 470 unidentified males and 136 cases where the sex is unknown. And all 13 provinces and territories at the time eventually provided a data to the Globe while several jurisdictions took many months to do so, some cite a lack of resources to collect the information. So back in 2015, there was 697 unknown individuals, but that is not the complete count since it does not include very old or very recently found remains. Out of Canadian Jane and John Doe's, here are six of their stories. Halifax John Doe 2004 On October 8, 2004, which is an estimated, listed date because in other articles it has been identified that the discovery date was on the 8th, 9th, or 12th, Halifax John Doe was discovered hanging from a tree in a forested area behind a Petro-Canada station the station is located near Halifax-Stanfield International Airport in Halifax, Nova Scotia, near Highway 102. The remains were reported by someone who called the police. And approximately on November 18, 2005, Halifax John Doe was laid to rest before this time, but yet was exhumed to collect additional information. There was artistic reconstruction and DNA analysis and forensic anthropologist examinations. And on November 23rd of 2006, there was a facial reconstruction released to the media. Almost eight years to the date, October 9th, 2014, police announced that they have a DNA profile for Halifax John Doe. Interestingly, they also refused to release this cause of death but say his death is not suspicious. Four years later, November 26, 2018, Halifax John Doe's remains were still at the Nova Scotia Medical Examiner's Office, and he is one of the two unidentified. And when a body's identity is unknown, the medical examiner must help solve it. They have tried matching Halifax to missing person cases with no luck. And on January 22, 2021, Halifax Homicide A TV series had an episode on the Halifax John Doe. Halifax's cause of death was hanging, and he had been deceased between 5 to 10 days before discovery. The cause of death could have been suicide, as listed by Doe Network. Halifax is a young male with a dark complexion aged 18 to 30, though it is thought he was in his late 20s at the time of his death. His height is between 5'10 to 5'11, and his weight is 161 pounds. Overall, he had an athletic medium build. Halifax's race is African or European. Although this was not known initially, he was listed as African-Canadian. His hair was brown or black, and it is a medium length with unbraided dreadlocks. Halifax has brown eyes. Other recognizable characteristics are that his nose was bent slightly to the left. Both ears had piercing holes, but no earrings. And he had a small beard or goatee. Medical observation are that he had healthy teeth with an overbite, a left tibia fracture that had not healed correctly, and he had either removed his cast or he had gotten medical treatment. Halifax also had many accessories and clothing with him. He wore a multicolored dress shirt, gray Emilio sweater, blue Real Madrid European football soccer jersey, blue Lee jeans, a new beige Timberland boots. Nearby, he had a Dorsey flashlight and a McKinley backpack, and his clothes were neatly folded. A pair of Italian-designed Dolce and Gabbana glasses were found near his body. So if you could visualize, he had neatly packed his clothes. He had brand-new hike boots. Prescription glasses are put away in their case, but no wallet. In some sources, it was said that the glasses were not sold around in the area. No new source to back this claim but that is an interesting possibility. Another indication of him not being a local is the jersey shirt he had with him. In a deleted Reddit comment, a user points out this could be a 0405 third shirt or home goalkeeper's shirt. Another user points out that McKinley backpacks are every day in Europe, but not in America. But the Darcy flashlight is American and it is hard to get in Canada. If you have any information in regards to who Halifax John Doe 2004 might be, I will provide the investigating agency information, case numbers, as well as additional tip-line information and emails in the show notes. Coquicklum John Doe. On July 2, 1998, Coquicklum John Doe's body was found in a wooded area on the 4100 block of Oxford Street, north of the Port Coquitlam Cemetery in Coquitlam, British Columbia, Canada. The person that found him was walking their dog, and the area is described as heavily wooded. Eleven years later, on May eleventh, two 2010, the Doe Network adds him to their program. On July twelfth, two 2018, the investigators that were in charge of his case stated that knowing that this was the 20th anniversary, they thought that it would be a good time for a push. And so the police had asked the public for help in identification. At this point, they have a composite drawing and a DNA profile and have had help from forensic experts. And less than two years later, on February 18th, 2020, there was a 3D rendering released to the public and they identified that the jaw, nose, and mouth of this man are very different from the sketch. Coquiclum's body condition was never released. However, we can deduce that it was likely skeletal because there are only digital renderings of his likeness and the two to 10 years listed on his death date before being discovered. There is also no cause of death listed. Coquiclum is 30 to 49 years old and has several renderings and sketches available. Coquiclum is often listed as an unknown race. However, his ancestry may have been Caucasian and First Nations. His height was about five, four to six feet tall. Coquiclum has some distinguishing medical features, such as visible tooth decay and a missing upper front tooth on the left, probably removed one year before death. The upper front tooth is angled. And it was identified that he had Osgood Schlater's disease, which is a bony bump on the shin below the left knee, probably due to physical sports such as soccer or hockey. Coquiclum had a broken nose which would have appeared crooked. He was wearing the remnants of a red cotton shirt with blue dress pants when found and they were able to collect DNA as well as his dental information. And because of his poor health, it was speculated that Coquiclum was a transient. If you know any information about Coquicklum John Doe, please reach out to the investigating agency, which is the Coquiclum RCMP, or provide an anonymous tip through Crime Stoppers. Edmonton John Doe of 1999 so, on July eighteenth, nineteen 1999, around 11 p.m., which was a Sunday, firefighters discovered Edmonton in a burnt-out garage after an emergency call was made for 108 A Avenue and 97th Street in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. The firefighters had just put the fire out and were looking for hot spots. The fire had been called into 911 by a witness that had smelled smoke This caller stated that the flames were so big they were shooting out of the garage and across the alley. The damages from the fire cost $10,000 and got to a nearby vehicle and utility lines. The garage owner was not in Canada during the fire. However, Edmonton was in the garage and recovered by firefighters from the back corner. They thought he was transient and started a fire to warm up. On the following day, Edmonton Jando was taken to the medical examiner's office to determine the cause of death in identity. Yet, by September 9th of 1999, a facial recognition sketch was released. It is remarked as unusual for this area as, before this case, they had only done this once for a river drowning victim, and missing persons reports were checked in the Edmonton area and elsewhere. On August seventeenth, two thousand, the paper cites that the police have no leads and discuss that he might be buried in an unmarked grave. They also noted that the fire wasn't started by arson. Instead, they believed it began with a cigarette or a cooking fire. His picture released brought in twenty tips as far away as Halifax and Thunder Bay. One lead seemed very strong, but then it fell through. After that. Each tip was ruled out. By October 2, 2000, Edmonton's body was released to the public trustee for burial, and prior to his burial, DNA, dental records, and x-rays were obtained. And, unfortunately, the following day, his case went cold. Edmonton John Doe's body was severely burnt with no hair or skin, and physical recognition was complex. Edmonton's cause of death was asphyxiation from the smoke. This is what we know about him so far. Edmonton is a male aged 25 to 40 years old. His weight is about 165 pounds. His height is about 5'8 to 5'10 and is of medium build. Edmonton is a Caucasian and First Nations. It was not identified the length of his hair, but it was the color of brown. Edmonton does have some medical characteristics that could help identify him, including an old nasal fracture with a slight deformity to the right of the nose. Lastly, he has some visible golden teeth. There were items with Edmonton, including a blanket with a pillow. They think this indicates that he was living in the garage. The remains of a blue knit sweater Blue jacket, dark button fly pants, possibly jeans, and cotton briefs. No socks or shoes were found, and the items had been melted. If you have any information on who Edmonton John Doe of 1999 would be, I will provide the investigating agency information, case numbers, tip line, and emails in the show notes. Edmonton Jane Doe, 2003 On April eleventh two 2003, Edmonton Jane Doe was a woman recovered from the North Saskatchewan Riverbank near the Riverdale area in Edmonton. She is possibly connected to another unidentified woman and was found in this nearby location in 2006, who was later identified in 2019, though her identity was withheld. Edmonton Jane Doe's cause of death remains unknown. Edmonton Jane Doe was identified as either White or First Nations. Her height was between 5'6 to 5'7 and weighing around 176 to 185 pounds. She appeared to have good dental care. Her hair was cut short and dyed orange with dark roots. She was wearing black denim pants pink briefs, and white socks, and was identified in wearing multiple items of jewelry. One of the jewelries was a medal of immaculate conception on a white chain necklace, a black bracelet depicting images of the Catholic saints. She wore four white metal rings on her right hand with no stones, and one yellow metal ring with numerous clear and yellow stones. On her left hand, she wore a yellow metal ring with a clear stone. I will also have photos of her jewelry located in the show notes. And if you have any information regarding the death or the identity of Edmonton Jane Doe 2003, please do contact the Alberta Office of the Chief Medical Examiner, the Canadian Crime Stoppers, or emailing of the National Center for Missing Persons and Unidentified Remains. I will have all this information and her case numbers in the show notes. Mosley Jane Doe From Calgary Herald newspaper in 2006, two separate remains were actually discovered on the same day. One of the remains was to believe to be found on the reserve likely washed out of an ancient Indian burial site during a 2006 flooding in the area. Yet moments before the first remain was discovered, they found Malsalee Jane Doe in a field in Alberta. Her bones were found strewn across a field about 50 kilometers southeast of Calgary. A farmer told police he had not seen the remains there the year before. Mossley Jane Doe is believed to have been deceased for at least a year when her remains were recovered on May 10, 2006. Jane's cause of death is unknown. Mossley Jane Doe is identified White or First Nations, and at the time of death, approximately 40 to 80 years old, her height between 5'2 to 5'6. Her weight, hair, and eye color could not be determined at the time of her death, and her characteristics were a large button osteoma was on her right side of her forehead, a healed fracture on her right cheekbone, multiple teeth were missing, possibly wore a denture plate, and she may have voiced discomfort from arthritic pain. If you have any information on this case, please contact the following Gleischen RCMP, the Canadian Crime Stoppers, or to send an email to the National Center for Missing Persons and Unidentified Remains. I will have all this information and her case number in the show notes. Banff Jane Doe, on April 8, 1979. Two hikers discovered a human skull in Banff National Park, Alberta, down a steep bank near Forty Mile Creek, only 200 yards north of the Trans-Canada Highway in the vicinity of the Buffalo Paddock. A search of the area uncovered additional remains, including several ribs, a vertebrae, a leg bone, and a shoulder blade. An autopsy was conducted on the partial human remains that determined that she had died between one to two years prior, at earliest the winter of 1977 or more likely the winter of 1978. The cause of death was deemed to be a homicide, not because of the noticeable marks on the bones but rather the circumstances surrounding the discovery. Suicide was ruled out because there were no clothes or identification found in the area, and investigators deemed it unlikely the deceased was a lost hiker, as remains were close enough to the highway that she would have either seen or heard passing vehicles. Initially, she was identified as Caucasian, but yet later she was identified as an indigenous female between the ages of twenty-four to twenty-five and because of how she was discovered, her weight and eye color are unknown. yet experts were able to determine that she had thick, long black or brown hair and stood between 5'2 to 5'3. She had prominent high cheekbones, and the teeth present in her upper jaw were in perfect condition. The lower portion of her jaw was never recovered. If you have any information regarding the case, you are asked to contact the Chief Medical Examiner's Office or submit an anonymous tip through Crime Stoppers. I will have this information in the show notes. In regards to the DNA data banks in Canada, they have been years behind U.S. and United Kingdom, identifying its unknown individuals. Both countries have national DNA data banks that store and compare genetic profiles from missing persons and identified remains. The Canadian government recently added a tool that will help to ensure that if someone goes missing in one part of the country and is found dead in another, the link between the two cases could be made. And as part of its strategy to address the number of unsolved cases involving murdered and missing Indigenous women, Canada had launched in 2011 the National Center for Missing Persons and Unidentified Remains. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police, or RCMP, has said that it will let police, coroners, and medical examiners decide what kind of DNA to submit to the National Data Bank, nuclear, mitochondrial, or both. Now, in the US, for example, the Texas Base Center, which is federally mandated to process missing persons and unidentified remain samples, has attempted to get both nuclear and mitochondrial DNA in all cases. When you analyze both types of DNA, it maximizes the potential for successful identification Nuclear DNA is the more conclusive of the two when it comes to identifications, but mitochondrial DNA has its advantages. It better withstands time and elements. And since it is passed down the matrilineal line between even distant relatives, it can fill a void if DNA from a missing person or their immediate family is unavailable for uploading into the databank. Now, in the U.S., Washington pays for DNA testing for missing persons and unidentified remains that are sent to the labs. As well as in Canada, the federal dollars for the data bank will go toward creating the data bank and maintaining it. The RCMP has told that police agencies, coroners, and medical examiners will be expected to pay for a genetic analysis at an accredited lab. There is a concern about DNA costs remaining with police and death investigators. Without federal funding for the actual testing, there m- might be fewer cases profiled, and the effectiveness of the data bank could be reduced. I greatly appreciate all my listeners listening in to support our local neighbor Canada in helping search and identify their John and Jane Doe's. If you know any information about any of the six Jane or John Doe's that I identified in Part One, you can provide anonymous tipping through Canadian Crime Stoppers 1 800 222 Tips or online at www.canadiancrimestoppers.org Slash Tips. You can also email the National Center for Missing Persons and Unidentified Remains at Canada's Missing Disparas Canada at rcmp grc.gc.ca. And again, I will have all of this in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Hands Off My Podcast. If you are enjoying the podcast, and you'd like to support the mission, I do have a Patreon membership that will help the cause and bring more detail on cases and stories from the People of Color community. If you yourself has a lost loved one or a story suggestion, please don't hesitate to contact me at email. Hands off my podcast at gmail.com. And if you are only able to support in another way, Please give this podcast a five star rating on Apple or Spotify and continue to listen to upcoming episodes every Thursday, wherever you listen to your podcast. Dios te Vega,